Good morning, Connection Church. So last year, our church started a series on mental health awareness in May. And then we received a lot of good feedback and are thankful that we can actually bring more awareness to this issue at our church. Mental health awareness has been observed in the United States since 1949. So it is about 74 years. And then every year during the month of May, there is a national movement to raise awareness about mental health issues in this country and the world. And then today, I have the privilege to start this series. So I have a story, and then this is a real story, except that, you know, some of the, the name I made up. So Beth became a new student at Denver Seminary in the fall semester of 2006. And she also became one of my roommates. At that time, I lived in a three-bedroom apartment on campus. And the location of our building is facing the beautiful South Platte River. And we had incredible mountains view from literally every room. So Miriam, my other roommate, loved opening all the windows during summertime to let the fresh air in. Miriam is different than the other Wisconsin girl who just like turned on the AC like winter time. So we could enjoy the sunshine and the beautiful view. But things started to change when Beth moved, moved in. She would close all the windows and the curtains and made her room and our living room totally dark so that she could sleep during the day. She would stay up late and watch TV every night and that was super loud. And then we tried to communicate with her that her lifestyle had interrupted our routine. But Beth shared that she had trouble sleeping and was struggling with depression. Her counselor suggested that she got back to school and tried something that she was passionate about. So she chose to take classes at seminary, which I still don't understand the purpose of the recommendation. Because seminary is not easy, you know, it just stresses you out. But that doesn't matter. We need to try the things that we think will work. It could take several tries or several dozen tries before we find something that works. But we can never give up. And then a couple weeks after Beth moved in, Miriam and I were sitting in our dining room chatting and eating lunch. So Beth walked in the kitchen and poured herself some water. I asked how she was doing because she didn't look well. Her skin was always pale and she had no energy. She responded, I'm fine. And she walked back to her room, you know, very slowly. We always tried to make a conversation with her, but she was hardly awake during the daytime. Not long after that encounter, probably about 10 minutes after that encounter, Miriam and I continued our conversation and all of a sudden, there was a loud and fast banging on our front door. So I opened the door, several police or firefighters came in and asked for our names and they left immediately. It was odd. Before we could even digest what just happened, we heard another bang on the door. This time when I opened the door, all the police and firefighters rushed in our apartment, walked through the hallway to our rooms and checked on Beth and then carried her out of the apartment on a stretcher. We were shocked. 
and speechless because we didn't know what was happening. Somebody, please give us explanation. You know, we thought just like, what's going on? And then one of the officers told us that Beth had attempted to take her own life. My heart dropped. I was sad. I was scared. It was only my second semester at seminary, you know, and I didn't understand. It was probably the most difficult week or month in our lives, especially when I, we walked past her room. And then it was my first super close encounter living with someone struggling with mental health. And unfortunately, it was not the last one. A couple of days after that sad day, we went to visit her in the hospital, but we didn't really see her but only her parents. And then I will always remember the sadness and weariness in her parents' eyes because they struck me. I wondered how long they had been going through this, seeing their beloved daughter struggling. They were trying their best to help and trying all the recommendations and being supportive of her. And Beth, Never came back to seminary. A year later, my good friend who happened to know Beth's father told me that Beth's parents were the most loving Christian family. Since then, I encountered a lot of people, either Christians or non-Christians who are struggling with mental health conditions or whose family members are struggling with mental health condition. And then, of course, I don't want to discredit the people who are struggling with mental health condition, but I would actually would like to talk more about their caregivers, family members or friends who are walking with their loved ones who are struggling with the mental health conditions. The family caregivers usually play multiple roles in care of the persons with mental health conditions, including the day-to-day -day, day -day care, taking the patients to appointments, to seek for new treatments and supervising the medications, bearing with the behavioral disturbances. And sometimes the family caregivers can also be a target of the patient's abusive or violent behavior. They experience disrupted family routines. There are constraints on the family's social and leisure activities as well as financial burdens. You know, all the 911 call, you know, the emergency room, the rehab. Oftentimes they are in despair because they feel lost and have no directions or frame of reference to navigate all the possible treatments or ways to deal with the patients. There's a, you know, a mental health hospital or clinic next to Denver Seminary. It's a whole all health network. If you don't have insurance, you know, do you, ha you have nothing, you still can go there. They are going to, you know, help you if you need. I think you can stay there for three days for free, you know, if you don't have any insurance. I might be wrong, 
they probably changed the policy. And those families are probably overwhelmed with the anger because they see no hope. To cure their loved ones who are struggling with mental health conditions. And then it affects the overall stability of their life. And the caregivers sometimes feel like they are constantly worrying about the well-being of their loved ones. I heard someone told me, he's like, you know, she had to stay by the door to make sure her kid will not leave the house. You know, to make sure the safety of their loved one. It is very tiring. And then in the Bible, it is said, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then I actually have seen a lot of people who chose to love sincerely, sincerely and cling to what is good and be devoted to one another in love by standing by their loved ones who are struggling with mental health conditions, even though it is difficult. And then try to show grace like best parents and believe God will grant you the strength to help when you have the opportunity. There are so many people like best parents out there and everywhere and even here among us. Unfortunately, there are stigmas, negative attitudes, beliefs, and sadly even action towards people who have mental health condition. Even at church, we don't openly share often enough with one another when we or our loved ones are struggling with mental health condition. The stigmas are that people with mental health conditions are dangerous, incompetent because they don't go to work. They don't get up during the day. They just sleep. Angry, unpredictable, or that they are somehow to blame for their own disorder. How do they blame? Just like, oh, he's bipolar. Instead of saying that he's struggling with bipolar. Oh, he's depressed. You know, instead of saying he's struggling with depression. Because of the stigmas in our society about mental health condition, they can also cause discrimination in the workplace, access to healthcare and living situations. The people who are struggling with mental health conditions will often have lower self-esteem, self-efficacy, and reduced hope, increased symptoms, difficulties with social relationships, and reduced likelihood of staying in treatment and more difficulties at work. And those stigmas can also bring shame. Therefore, parents, spouses, friends, or children of the loved ones who are struggling with mental health conditions are reluctant to share about the situations. And then as a pastor, I receive when prayers when people are sick due to cancer, get into accidents, job transitions. But I rarely get any prayer requests when someone needs to go to rehab or is seeking psychiatric help. I've been serving international students for years. And then some of them would confide to me that they are struggling with their mental health conditions or taking medication. But at the end of the conversation, it's always, Bruce, let's keep it a secret and don't let others know that I'm taking medication. Perhaps we don't want 
to shame our loved ones who are struggling with mental health conditions. Thus, the reasons for the lack of prayer requests, you know. So hopefully by bringing up this topic at the church, we can start having more awareness and some education that struggling with mental health conditions should not be something we feel ashamed about and is something we can share openly about and get the support that we need. We do not need to do it like AA, just like, hello, you know, my name is, hi, my name is Ruth, I'm alcoholic. We don't need to do that, you know. But at least we can just like, hey, I'm struggling. Sometimes the support systems are like lifelong support because some mental health conditions are hardest to treat like borderline personality disorder, severe bipolar, schizophrenia, spectrum disorders, and severe depression. So we have to fight the stigmas. You know, it is not embarrassing to have mental health problem. It is not because we lack more faith, we don't have faith at all in God. Okay, fight the stigmas. And then how can we get the support or give the support to the one another? So connect with one another. That's one of our mission at Connection Church, connect with one another. It is easy, but at the same time, it is also difficult. When I started my new life living on campus at Denver Seminary on the way to the classroom or library, people who saw me always say, how are you? So as a foreigner with English as second language, the standard answer that I know by my heart was, I am fine, thank you, and you, you know, that's the thing that we repeat when we were kids. But before I even could, you know, give a full answer, the person who asked that question already walked so far away and also said the same thing to the next person. I don't feel special anymore. So I seriously had hard time when people say, how are you to me? Because I didn't know whether I should respond or not. Also, I just like, how are you? Okay, how are you, you know? Just how are you to everyone? At least the Chinese people would ask, have you eat? You know, have you eaten? You know, <laughs> better than how are you? It's different, different culture, okay? care about our tummy. So I always wonder would people actually stop and listen if I say I'm not fine. Okay, this is something we should all try to work on. Please look for signs that things might not be okay with your family, friends, or co-workers. Our emotions can be hard to read sometimes. Someone who looks upset maybe was just cut off by another car while driving or maybe it could be as extreme as their mom's passing away. Take the time to land an ear. It could really make someone's day. Then how nice will it feel when you need to have someone land your ear when you are having a rough time? We all need to step up and be more available to each other. It's tough out there. It's really tough now in this world. But even a few seconds or a minute can make a big positive difference in somebody's days. And there is plenty of negative in this world already. And then we as Christians need to start adding more positive back into it. The I'm not fine response would probably catch people off guard because the standard answer should be I'm fine or no answer at all. And then I realized that it is not because people don't care about us or don't want to talk to us. However, we are living in a society that we try hard 
to not show our weaknesses and everyone is super independent. It was like, oh boy, you know, when I come here, I saw a friend who just gave, a, gave birth and then one day later, the person already, you know, puts the baby out. I'm just like, seriously, American ladies are so strong. What happened to the Chinese ladies? We just stay home, get pampered for one month, cannot even wash our hair, you know? Just like, hmm, I need to start a business for all the Chinese here. That I can pamper them for one month and make a lot of money. <laughs> so, you know, over here, once you reach 18 years old, you are considered an adult and you pretty much can do whatever you want and so be responsible with your own decisions in life. And then in this very individualistic society, most adults, per my observations, would not discuss with their family some of the most important decisions in their life. Oftentimes, they just inform their families once the decisions are made. I learned that as well. So when Kyle proposed to me, Mom, I'm getting married. Okay, bye. <laughs> so, but whatever decision they make, okay, here, they have to carry a heavy burden by themselves when bad decisions are made. And I also have experienced loneliness after I came to the USA because I consider myself a, a, to be a super independent person. But in this country, that, this is the first country that made me feel lonely for the first time in my life. You know. We can support one another by connecting with one another. I really hope that as the body of Christ, we can take away our mask of strength and get rid of some of the individualism and be vulnerable with one another and say honestly, I'm really, really sad because my kid is suicidal. I haven't been sleeping very well because my spouse is going through a manic period. Oh, I'm worried about my, for my grandkid because she has been drinking a lot to dull her emotions since she's struggling with bipolar. Oh, my best friend has lost her purpose in life and cannot leave the house. He's impaired. I have lost close loved ones and, you know, I'm also depressed. You know, can we just like say, you know, out loud and then tell people what do we really need? If you are not the one struggling with mental health conditions, I'm not saying that you are, if you are the one struggling with the mental health condition, I'm not saying you are the burden, okay? Don't feel that you are the burden for your family. We as humans all have our many, many deficiencies. It's just time to stop saying we can ignore the ones that are uncomfortable to talk about or the ones we don't fully understand. I just want to emphasize that we hope you are not struggling alone and your family, spouses, children, or friends are not struggling alone. Instead, we can walk in this together. And then only those who have walked the walk know the struggle, the anguish, the pain, and mental exhaustion, and that can be caused by mental health condition. Usually, parents stand by their children who are struggling. But I would like to remind you to never blame the people who walk away from their marriages when a spouse is suffering from severe mental health conditions. Because staying and living are both difficult decisions with difficult 
with different consequences and challenges that result. These are complicated situations and everyone can affect everyone's else mental health. So we have to be nice to other people and be kind. But where is God in the midst of all of this? Is, is God dead? Has he abandoned us? Why did he allow some people to suffer from mental health conditions? You know? The one thing is for sure, it is not because of your lack of faith. It's not because you are not mentally strong enough. It is because there is so much brokenness in this world. Suffering from mental health condition is only one of the many brokennesses in this world. And walking on my own journey, combating my own anxiety and temporary depression in several stages of life that was caused by some circumstances in life, and also walking with my loved ones who are really struggling, God had used his children to walk with me in my journey. They were all this silent sitting with my mentor when I was a student, my mentor Lisa McGee in her office. And all the prayers by Cindy Hamilton's fireplace, you know, and then all the tears in front of my counselors and therapists and mentors, you know, currently Steve. And also for all the prayers of despair and complaints before God, they were not unheard by him. Psalm 34, 18 reminded me that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. And then God understands your pain, our pain, and who knows about every weakness and hurt and reaches out with compassion and hope. When God remains silent, it doesn't mean he doesn't care, but he makes sure not to leave me alone because he sent so many people to remind me that I'm not alone. God is in this with me and with all of us through his people. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, love one another as yourself. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Christians will face all kinds of challenges, including challenges with mental health. Please don't face them alone. Fight the stigma and support one another. Pray to God that we can persevere in our suffering that is caused by mental health condition and that we can put our hope in God as the caregivers or as the patients. And then at last, I would like to say to all the caregivers of the loved ones with mental health condition, it is okay to allow yourself to mourn the situation that you are facing. It is okay to say, God, I cannot do this anymore and help me. It is okay to live for a moment. It is okay to take care of yourself first because when you mourn before God, you will be comforted. When we are making the connections and care for the people who are mourning for these circumstances, mourn with them, cry with them, empathize with them, or just sit silently with them. When I saw Lisa McGee for one month, I just cried the entire one hour. She didn't say a word, and I felt better, and I hugged her and then I leave. Sometimes they don't really need you to say something. 
it is easy to rejoice with those who rejoice, but not necessarily to mourn with those who mourn. May we be the church who can support one another in the time of rejoicing and the time of affliction, especially when we know one of us is hurting. And then may God help us to love one another as we love ourselves that whenever we come here or go home, we know that we can count on one another and we can count on you. Count on every single person who sits in this room. Because we are not alone in this journey facing the challenges that are caused by mental health conditions. Then God bless all of us. And I would like to invite Pastor Joy. Thank you for that message. Pastor Ruth asked me just to close the service with you in a unique way. We don't do this every time. But we don't have many moments of silence in our lives, do we? So we're going to use this precious, precious time to let this message sink through. We're going to have some time of prayer. It might sound like silent prayer, but I don't believe it will be. It'll be listening prayer. I'm going to invite you to listen to the Spirit of God speak to you as we are quiet with each other. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to listen to you. We know that our Pastor Ruth is correct in saying that we sometimes don't tell the truth. When someone asks us, how are you? We've got the words ready, but they're not the truth. So before you now in quietness, we whisper to you the truth of who we are and how we are. So we can learn to practice saying the truth to one another.